You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with LZ Williams III. LZ, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. LZ, we're going to talk about your show, Politics as Usual, which um, is currently running at M23. It's running through the 16th of July, actually as of today, which is June 13th. Um, let's talk about this show, and, and to begin with, the, the title, Politics as Usual. In one way, that sounds straightforward, but I imagine um, you have a bit of a double meaning for that, correct? Can you tell me a little bit about that? That is correct, uh, Brainard. Thank you. Uh, so Politics as Usual, I was really trying to embed certain contemporary issues that are in front of our faces more overt or covert conversations as well and just want to have that be really like a wake-up call for society and current events um, and also with the humor of uh, being one of the names from one of uh, Jay-Z's songs as well. Right, right. And and so... Um, from Reasonable so Doubt. This, this is also, I mean, let's talk about like the politics of it a little bit, right? Because... Um, this is in, in talking about a wake-up call. It's it's would you call it like activist work? I mean, it's a call to action a bit, isn't it, or or no? I think that's a fair assessment. I think that looking at it in terms of critiques or direct addresses as well for a lot of the work in the show really speaks to the viewer in different ways that I anticipate, and also in certain ways that I wasn't able to anticipate. And what ways were you, were you not able to anticipate to get right into that? Was there interpretations or thoughts about the show that really caught you off guard? Yeah, like let's say, for example, a piece that could be located in the back of the exhibition uh, has, it's titled, That's Hot But You're Fired. And just thinking of this advertisement that's incorporated with the piece that just says, You've Seen Television, you know, and sort of titling that piece after, like, infamous quotes from, let's say, Paris Hilton or Donald Trump, but also having that humor and putting it back into the work from, like, an article in a magazine that I was reading of Paris Hilton admitting in, like, an issue of Glamour magazine or an issue, let's say, um, of her openness for voting for Trump just because of he was a family friend and really wanting that humor with how she gets a pass in this way of consumer and celebrity and socialite culture that is just humorous in the title of the show or exhibition in, in itself. So uh, for that piece in particular is a laser pointer that is sort of, for me, talking about targeting or surveillance in this sort of Panopticon language but something that wasn't expected was people thinking of when you go to the grocery store and hear that scanning sound, you know, like there's no sound component in that particular work, but thinking of that in terms of visual language or visual cultures that um, I really enjoy to hear everyone's own view. Well, that's interesting. It's 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 so so fascinating how everybody has these different takes, right? So to talk a little bit more about that one, uh, which is that's hot, but you're fired. 
this is also an unusual construction that that plays prominently in the um in the images of this of this show online which is how i looked at it before though i've seen the show and um and, and i'd love to jump a little more into that piece even because different people read different things in here but as you're saying you saw it almost as an advertisement that um these are brands that we may know that may date or place people depending on your familiarity with them i mean there's a there's a number of things in here that that can be read right that that are that are cultural or time or generational references or, or, or no? I would say so. Um, Brainard, I think that legibility in terms of language is really something that I embrace and like to have fun with. For example, the you've seen television advertisement is a cropping of a larger ad, but let's say if that image is ripped out of a magazine from the sixties or the 80s, you know, um, and it, also that piece has incorporated this counterfeit uh, uh, bill adhered to the work, you know, so I really wanted all of this to have this sort of layer with cultures or histories, and in front of that piece is a piece that's t- talking about this article in Byte that took place in the 70s or just thinking of like Ali and Foreman, you know, of titling something Rumble in the Jungle. So just thinking of you might not be present, you might not be aware of like certain cultural histories or certain events, but I really want that sort of educational moment of, oh, I wonder why Elsie would title something this or having that play with uh, titles as well as a weaponary uh, language. That's, that's, um, thanks for sharing that. That's clear. You know, there's so much different work in this show that I'd like to talk about. There was a, there's one piece called I Robot, and now we're talking about, you know, a, a different type of sculpture, but this is, um, looks almost like a robot, and it's, and it's covered with, uh, images from, from magazines and, and more, but there are a series of, of, of eyes, of skin tones, and yet it's something, that looks like um, I don't know a, a robot, but a prototype. And 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 this, you know, for me, it almost reminded me a little bit of um, Alan Gallagher's work. This this kind of like sometimes a study in in, in skin tone, but that's how I read it um, as 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 being kind of about um, this, this beautiful range of of color and and what is the prototype for a robot? Like what. What color skin would a robot have? And that, of course, is a whole cultural sort of, you know, minefield. Um, am I just completely projecting on it, or is that part of what's going on here? <laughs> I, I don't think you're projecting at all, and I think that's a great assessment of the work as well. Um, thinking of robots and advertisements, again, in terms of this uh, consumerism as a colorless concept, let's say, and thinking of advertisers and in terms of production and X, Y, and Z, they're really targeting multiple people at different different levels and really wanting that in terms of scrutiny in the eyes or thinking of eyes in terms of dollars or eyes in terms of judgment. Um, some Like in, an, in another work that's in the show, there's a cropping of 
Bill Cosby's eyes or you have to like really think of these as like windows to the soul or surveillance or scrutiny. And I feel like I wanted to have that sort of humor, but also severity in terms of titling it after the movie that was popularized by Will Smith. But you know exactly how that has developed in itself in terms of the eyes being changed on one oneself um, just from the public eye and having that form of double entendres and surveillance. Which, which is a thread that runs throughout many of these works, right? The, the eyes, the, the seeing into the eyes and the worlds, um, as, you're, as you're saying, right, that are, that are within these layer upon layer of, that's often accessed through the eyes, right? Mm, precisely. Scrutiny, um, insight, secrets, I would really want to specify, or, um, and just that form of, an overwhelming sense of vision. Right. Yeah, but just thinking of is really being, as, as I was saying earlier, as a direct address. And, you know, in, in, in all of these works, there's that kind of feeling, I think, a, a kind of direct address, or that's, that is also how I read it. Um, there was one piece called a smaller sculpture called Monstro 2023, and that's a, a water bottle with a figurine in it, or one of them is, that has a 10 cents in it, metal. And um, this is one of the more enigmatic ones for me, um, but it also seems to, to speak to a, a bit of what you were just saying, right, in terms of uh, uh, secrets and a number of things you were just saying could perhaps apply to this, or it's a very specific narrative that I don't understand anything about. Yeah, I I think both are very humorous, you know, thinking of titling that piece in particular after the whale from the classic Disney or a classic fairy tale of Pinocchio and just thinking of how even now they're still making re, re, remakes or renditions of Pinocchio, you know, Guillermo del Toro just had his version. But something really struck me about that whale swallowing Pinocchio whole and at the time you know Pinocchio was looked at as this innocent childlike figure but thinking of them in context of this show as this stand-in I'll say as a liar and like incorporating uh 10 cents and with the dime side of the coin being revealed just really wanting to have that juxtaposition but that piece also has a change right because Above it, which works as a sort of skyscraper almost, is this Ritz-Carlton water bottle as well that encapsulates Pinocchio. And really just thinking of, I was mentioning, or maybe I didn't mention earlier, the F. F Scott Fitzgerald uh, story of uh, the diamond is largest Ritz. And just thinking of that in terms of this view, right? Like I've been saying, uh, the context of like view or scrutiny or um, just the lens of whomever and thinking of this character as John comes across these wealthy people in an institutional setting and just knowing that 
there's such a difference in terms of like gaps. And I really wanted that to come across in different ways um, throughout the show, whether if it's a whale or whether it's uh, certain things of the back. I have a backpack that's also incorporated in the show and embedding sheep and really wanting that humor of sheep culture and robotics and analog versus digital um, all to be coming into play in this show. Well, that fits into something also that you referenced before. I mean, of course, it fits into everything in the show, but there's, um, as you mentioned before, Rumble in the Jungle, which is different than most of what we've been talking about. Um, but as you as you were saying before, with the Muhammad Ali hand impression and signature and, and all these National Geographic magazine covers, um, you know, th- this one seems almost serious in comparison to that. I mean, they, they actually all have a seriousness, but there is also... Uh, a kind of humor to these National Geographic covers. I mean, I'm not sure how they were printed. They seem to be in, in sheets almost, or they're glued together. But these are um, these also have a, a kind of could be comedic line through it because it's such it's such sort of pop culture imagery in in, in a very different way, though. Hmm. I think um, that's that's all I would want from the viewer, <laughs> if I'm being honest, in terms of just having that moment of self-awareness and realization of seeing that in the work. So definitely um, great to hear, Brenna, for sure. And and for you, did you have a piece in here that was your favorite or that um, after it was installed you saw it very differently? I, I think it changes, you know. Um, I have this um, I have this piece that's suspended with copper wire in the show that is talking about time travel with handbags, you know? So thinking of that, um, I really wanted to embed histories and cultures in that as well because I feel like people could automatically think of handbags in this consumerism language, which I am very much so in dialogue with, but also this concept that uh, in certain ancient civilizations of like hieroglyphs in the Mayans and X, Y, and Z, archaeologists believe that these depictions of certain deities would carry handbags um, in, as the symbol of time travel. So just having that sort of imaginative humor of these handbags being time travel devices and really wanting that to be this feeling of embedding black culture, embedding cultures, embedding previous and past technologies. There's a CD embedded in it. There's QRs embedded. There's eyes. And just thinking of even fortune cookies. So thinking of futures, fortunes, and all of that in in terms of past. Um, That's a piece that at, at the moment is one of my favorites. But at the end of the day, I think that all of them are really personal and poetic to me in different ways, for sure. The backpack is, um, as, you're, as you're mentioning, you know, is um, it's so interesting to hear you talk about it that way uh, because time travel, then, the way you're speaking of it, or maybe it's also me kind of layering in what I'm thinking, also has to do with, with politics, right? It would be nice to, like, uh, you know, get out of this moment or into another moment or, or, 
or something to do with um, the liberation of, of time travel. Does it? It almost seems like, like a, for some reason, in the context that you were talking about, it almost a form of protest. Yeah, and I, I think that that's ultimately what I would want the work to do, is to have that sort of commentary of protest or resistance, but also having it be self-aware in terms of uh, sensibility, um, using a 1908 cat Sears catalog, I want it to be juxtaposed on a cash register that I found, you know, or putting that with certain other objects, or let's say using matches, you know, really wanting to ignite that conversation, I think is happening like simultaneously, whether it's subconscious or what, um, I really think that it's all just a fun balance between being intuitive and intentional. Thanks. Yeah, that's how it, that's how it reads. I mean, and, and that's, I guess, where poetry comes from, right? Or, or ideally, because those, those, the work we're talking about, um, the backpacks, do you know where you're going to, right? Uh, that's, that, that feels, I mean, it's interesting that that, at least for the moment, was your favorite or the one you mentioned that I said that because that one also has, uh, yeah, very poetic qualities because, of course, uh, a person should be attached to that backpack, right? Yeah, and I think that's a really beautiful comment. Thank you. Um, that, like, do you know where you're going to, you know? That's um, a song, that, like, that piece is titled after the song by Diana Ross from Mahogany, you know? And just thinking of that sort of, ambition of like perseverance and Miss Ross is an icon and like I couldn't control that this show would be happening during Pride Month which I think is like beautiful timing and talking about it you know but there's also in terms of our current political climate of politics you know you're still seeing current right in front of our faces advertisements for children to go to school with bulletproof backpacks you know and I really wanted that to have a play between looking into this bag and seeing secrets, seeing smiling black faces, but outside is this white backpack and having that sort of critique or language of an institutional critique or um, coming out of a program and being the only uh, black student in your year. And I really wanted that um, language to be heard whether subtle in a Cornell, Joseph Cornell sort of language or um, or forceful with pigeon spikes in a way that is, mm, I want to say militant in a David Hammond's language, you know, but I, ultimately my own form of poetics. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's been great talking to you and, uh, and hearing more about the show itself and and how and right. how we're both looking at these. Um, I want to ask you one more question before we go, which is a little off topic. What are you reading at the moment? So I appreciate you asking me that as well. At the moment, I would say uh, the autobiography of John H. Johnson, and I would recommend that to others as well. Um, John H. Johnson is the creator of Ebony and Jet magazine. And him creating that as self-made 
I know we're using that word very loosely these days, but a self-made American businessman and he creating Jet and Ebony magazine as a response or reaction, you know, because that's art in itself as well, from not seeing African-American faces represented at the time in publications or issues, let's say, of Look or Time magazine. So Johnson took it upon himself to create his own sort of platform in Chicago, which I find really compelling so far in his autobiography, and I definitely would recommend. Thanks so much. That does sound fascinating. Elsie, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again for, for talking with me. Thank you. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.